Welcome to the Worldwide Friends podcast, episode number four. This is Paul Dyer calling from uh, New Zealand again, and we have with us today Andrew Thorndike, who's in Oxford in England. Andy, how are you today? Hello. Well, hello, Paul. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty well, pretty well. Just uh, it's uh, it's morning for me, so uh, just have a little bit of breakfast and coffee, and uh, looking forward to, to talking to you about various things today. Um, we are talking to Andy, who is also a, a friend um, from our Swansea University days, um, who, who again did the, the same course as, as, as Tim and Steve, who, who we've spoken to in, in previous podcasts. And we are going to talk today um, about America, about living in America, especially in the southern states of the United States in, in, in America, which is where um andy and also myself were based uh, when, when we were there uh we're going to talk a little bit about um sort of culture uh some issues there uh, and some other things as well as um as the culture in terms of um the big cities and um things that you can that you can do there which which are quite exciting uh before we before we get to all of that um it's these the holidays um any big plans for you um for the next few days andy uh, pretty much the norm, meeting up with family, doing a few um, Easter egg hunts with the kids. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, my guy, well, a bike ride today, very pleasant. Um, the uh, weather here is uh, reasonable, so uh, it made the bike ride not so challenging as uh, it would have done in normal temperatures here in the UK, but certainly for the time of year. But certainly, yeah, keeping busy and uh, yeah, off for another few days. So, going to try and make the most of it. Mm, sounds good. I've got a two-year-old, uh, Emerson, and we're. Uh, I think we're going to do another Easter egg hunt. I actually did one pre-Easter because Easter eggs are cheap. Uh, but yeah, we're going to go up to the hillside around Wellington and do some Easter egg hunting and gleeful running around. So, uh, should be good. Um, we're going to just, before we get to uh, moving on to talk about America, just thought I'd uh, touch on Oxford. There's actually, I found out in Oxford in Mississippi where I used to live, but you live in the Oxford, i.e. the University of Oxford and the town around it. Um, now, most people associate Oxford with the 900-year-old colleges and, you know, internationally it's seen as kind of, you know, a twee place in a way. But um, actually, most people who live there, probably don't go to university, aren't lecturers as students. So what's it like? Uh, how long have you been there and, and what's it like to live in Oxford? Yeah, I mean, well, there's a significant uh, part of the population, certainly the students here, that are actually students. Um, but um, yeah, it, it, this is, it's quite a diverse place to live. And certainly where I live in the east side of Oxford, it's uh, extremely multicultural um, and very busy, uh, bustling uh, area of the city. Uh, certainly, I think uh, other areas like north of, of Oxford and in the centre are, are, are better known for, um, you know, being quite uh, um, uh, um, uh, for, for their education, etc. But certainly on our side of the city, um, it's just very vibrant uh, community, and uh, yeah, absolutely love it. Uh, so I've been here for ten years now. Um, so yeah, live here with uh, my wife Jackie and my, my two children Dylan and Harry. They're seven and five. Um, yeah, and it's great. It's just a really nice community. I remember. I think it was probably about six, seven years ago meeting up with you, and 
I think we went to a pub in the evening where J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis used to meet and have a pint and talk about literature. So it is quite nice. And I can, for people who aren't um, in the UK, it is quite nice to go to these places that have like so many hundreds of years of history. And then you get you find out, oh, yeah, this person used to go here when they were doing this. And it's like, oh, you know, it, it's certainly living in New Zealand, which obviously has a rich uh, Maori history before um, the, the, uh, the Europeans came. Um, and there is obviously a lot of 19th century European history as well, but you don't get that kind of sense um, in the same way. So that's that's quite nice going back to the UK every so often for me. Um, Swansea life. Um, we've covered this quite a lot. Steve, uh, Steve compared our bathroom in a previous podcast to being like a, um, a seventh housemate in its, uh, its disgustingness. But uh, you... Um, you and I didn't live together in Swansea in any halls of residence, and I believe you lived in actually on campus in Swansea in some in some tower blocks. What was what was that experience like? Yeah, it was it was uh, it was very good. Um, we were fortunate to be on a on a floor with uh, a bunch of people who were excellent, really good friendship group, got on terribly well. Um, and that was great. The, the, the slight drawback was, though, that we were on the ninth floor of nine um, and uh, with a, a generally a faulty lift. And uh, so getting up and down to lectures did prove uh, slightly challenging at times. Um, it, did, it did come to pass that we understood that all of us had ticked the box when uh, we were filling out our forms. Uh, that we were occasional smokers, so I guess to reduce the fire hazard, uh, we were popped onto the, the ninth floor in case there were any mishaps in the evening, uh, perhaps, uh, uh, you know, drinking cider, playing on the Super Nintendo, and uh, you end up uh, dropping a cigarette on the floor, the whole place could go up, and at least the rest of the building would be saved. So I'm assuming that was really the rationale to putting us on the top floor. Uh, but as I say, not, not having the lift working all the time uh, and being at the time a smoker really was uh, one of the biggest challenges of my university career. Yes, indeed. I I was in a similar situation when I lived in the, the annex, which is out the back. Um, uh, luckily, I haven't smoked for quite some years now, but yeah, we had that in ours as well. Um, yeah, and, and what was it like living on campus and actually having your lectures and stuff right there? Did you did you find it helped or would it have helped if you'd lived off, off campus for getting into stuff? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, the theory would be that um, it would uh, assist greatly in getting to early morning lectures, given the proximity you are to the, the, the various lecture theatres. Uh, however, I felt uh, that it, it's, it sometimes hindered it, because on the way to lectures, you've got a free breakfast, um, and invariably I would eat such an amount that I grew quite tired and would end up walking back to my room and having a bit of a nap and therefore missing the lecture I intended to to go to uh, prior to breakfast. So there were challenges in that regard, but it turns out that the proximity wasn't necessarily helpful when it came to attending lectures. And I, I would argue that I was a, a bit more scholarly uh, in that regard when uh, I lived further away. So no, I would say absolutely not. It had no bearing on attendee rates. So if anything, it had a, a negative, <laughs> a negative result. Certainly in my case, anyway. I wouldn't want to speak for everyone else, but uh, yeah, yeah. I can only reflect upon my own experience. 
Yeah, and that that reflection about Swansea. I mean, Swansea is 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 a city. You know, it's one of the biggest cities in in Wales. But you know, Wales Wales um, isn't 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 like England in terms of huge huge cities. So, what do you think? It's an advantage to you in terms of how much you enjoyed your university life living in a relatively smaller city than say some of the bigger university towns. Yeah, I think that that was actually a theory that was thrown out as to why, you know, whilst we were at university, why Swansea was uh, such a fantastic um, uh, university experience. I mean, in the main, it was a single campus university. So therefore, um, you know, everyone kind of knew everyone else and everyone kind of was hanging out with somebody else at one time or another, irrespective of what course you're attending. So uh, for for me, I think the being quite... uh, being a smaller city, um, I think certainly helped. And obviously, being a smaller city, it stood to reason that the, the, the university itself was a little bit smaller. And, and, and so you'd have more people gathered together within various parts of the university at once, which meant more people saw different people across the, 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 the university. So I think, you know, that, that single campus certainly helped. Um, and there were sort of pockets around the university that you would go, of course, in some areas that uh, you perhaps wouldn't go because uh, they were less student friendly. Uh, so I, I guess when you got caught in some of these uh, less student friendly areas unwittingly uh, and you saw some other students, you could kind of perhaps cozy up to them and uh, follow the whole uh, safety and numbers thing. Uh, but, but generally, I think, um, you know, everyone kind of knew everyone else. It was quite a, an intimate experience from that standpoint. Mm. And, and there was, even though, it was, even though it's in Wales and it's, it's not Cardiff, which is the main city, there was a good music scene there. I mean, sort of when we were there, certainly drum and bass with Jungle was, was, a, was a big movement. And there was, I remember the Bubba Club, which I'm assuming is not there anymore. And, the Escape, which was, I think, a, a quite a large club in Swansea, is closed down fairly recently as they're kind of restructuring Swansea Town Centre. I read about the other day, and Steve was, of course, there um, within uh, the last few months as well. Um, so I did, even though I, when I was younger, I was, I was, I was going out uh, to lots of gigs in Manchester. I found there was enough going on in Swansea, probably because of the student population, that actually. You could go and see bands, but you could also see, you know, DJs like I remember seeing Carl Cox, um, Chemistry and Storm, um, who were a bit of a blast from the past. Two female uh, drum and bass DJs, one who died tragically, uh, sort of, well, probably nearly 20 years ago. And so it did feel like the music scene was... um, wasn't a good place and you could really get sort of you know fairly um fairly interesting stuff even even in a smaller town a city like swansea yeah no you're, you're absolutely right and you used to get some fantastic djs and of course <clears throat> given that in in wales you would just have the two main cities uh if a, a major dj was to come to uh to to, to to wales then of course they would do swansea and cardiff so you know invariably there would be some fantastic nights out whilst we were there um but at the time of course we also had the whole Britpop thing going on and you saw a lot of big Welsh bands coming through and I, I remember back in uh, February I think it was uh, 1997 uh, going to the Valentine's Ball in, uh, in Divas which was the, uh, the, the the pub or the the social club or whatever you want to call it uh, which on, on campus um, and uh, there was a, a new upcoming band 
playing it was stereophonics and uh so you know i remember uh the fair amount of my female friends being quite taken aback by the lead singer um at, at the time like who's this guy and of course you know stereophonics went on to great things so <clears throat> yeah absolutely it, you you had that kind of uh intimacy there in in, uh, in swansea with the music scene as well and i, I think you know other bands like super fairy animals and, and various others uh, you know coming through um that, that we would we would see either playing on singleton park which obviously backed on to the swansea university backed onto or, or you would uh, have them play you know locally within pubs etc that uh, you know went on to fantastic things so yeah absolutely it was it was a good place to be um in in the late 90s certainly with with both the drum and bass scene and um you know the the, the whole kind of brit pop scene did you ever get behind the decks yourself andy uh i did i was awful um so it, it was a very <laughs> I, I i i spent a very limited time behind the decks I, it was probably in the region of uh two to five minutes um and that was and i was pulled away because that there was a risk of me scratching records so um that not in a good way i'm not talking about um you know me doing it in a skillful manner like literally scratching records so um i was pulled away said thank you very much and uh i was i, I prefer to be the other side um i was quite into the the, the dance music scene so i quite enjoyed having a bit of a dance less keen on uh, the entertainment side uh, in terms of entertaining others as it were so yeah no no, no not really my thing and it's good to see our old friend dan is uh, is still in cardiff and he's uh, he's still around the mc in the decks i've uh, i've seen on social media so uh um one of the, one of our group is still keeping it very much alive in the in the welsh dance scene yeah no absolutely uh, you know veto as i understand and uh, yeah he's uh, he's played glastonbury now and uh fantastic i mean t testament that uh, you know even in your 40s you can kick it with the kids that's fantastic so good on <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah we we are so old but yeah it feels so young this is it okay yeah. we're gonna we're gonna talk now i mean it's a continuation of this obviously uh, chronologically, um, in our third year at Swansea, we all went to America, um, like the Beatles, but, um, you know, a bit more grubbly. And um, we, um, I was based down in Baton Rouge, which is Louisiana, just kind of north of New Orleans on the, on the, on the south coast of the, the southern states. And you were, you know, a couple of, a couple of hours away, um, probably, you know, maybe um, 90 minutes, two hours away. Uh, but you were in Mississippi, which, you know, is synonymous with, uh, with the South, with Southern culture, good and bad. With everything and, good, in, uh, good in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone knows Mississippi yeah. for good things, right? No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I have been in Mississippi and I did I did enjoy floating down a river uh, on yes. some, uh, some what they're called, like inner tubes, big, big tractor inner tubes. So I've got fond memories, although I never visited you <laughs> where you were based, which is in Hattiesburg, uh, in Mississippi. Could you describe what it was like to, uh, to um, get ready to go and then get there? And how, how, how did it compare first impressions to, to, uh, to what you were expecting or not expecting, so to speak? 
Yeah, yeah, that's well. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I ended up in Mississippi, um, but partly through that laziness, but uh, partly also that I, I genuinely wanted to go. So, I mean, the, the lazy element was, I, I mean, I did rock up late to the party in terms of selecting universities, and obviously some of the more glamorous venues like uh, Los Angeles and uh, New York State. Uh, you know, those choices went pretty quickly, and I remember seeing about seven or eight universities left. And I was like, wow, Mississippi, that, that sounds pretty interesting. And, and you know, I, I kind of like the idea of trying to get as far away from British culture as I possibly could do. And Mississippi seemed like a pretty good stab at that. And uh, it, it genuinely turned out to be the case. Um, yeah, I mean, ro rocking up there, it was, uh, it, was, it was a very interesting experience. And it, it's not really until you delve a little bit deeper into the, um, the society itself that you, you realise that, um, you know, it, it's quite an extraordinary place. Um, not just for its history, but also uh, in terms of the changes that it was going through at the time. So we arrived there in, in 1998. And uh, at the time, I think Mississippi was coming to terms with its... Um, a pretty racist past um, and and certainly this was epitomized by you know my being able to witness within a couple of days of being in Hattiesburg Mississippi where where where, uh, where I stayed um, and seeing Jack Bowyer being um, sentenced to life imprisonment uh, in a Hattiesburg courthouse now now Bowyer of course was um, uh, the Grand Dragon for the Ku Klux Klan, and uh, he was the first uh, real indictment uh, made against uh, the Ku Klux Klan. And uh, since then, there's, there's been a, a fair few more. So it really was a turning point within within Mississippi history. And and you know, to acknowledge or, or to witness something like that is is a, is a pretty mind blowing thing, given the uh, the immensity and and how long it's taken for him to be brought to justice. So so from my perspective, from a, from a uh, you know a student sort of um, uh, perspective in terms of um, seeing something that's quite, uh, uh, I guess, world-changing in a way, it was quite uh, incredible uh, and obviously, obviously quite by chance. And it, it really kind of shaped my entire time in, in Mississippi because, you know, from that point there was uh, so many other experiences relating to sort of uh, race and you know the the whole kind of gun control element, um, and uh, was, was, and of course religion that um, you know was so far removed from what I was used to. It was almost like the only thing you had in common with anybody else on campus was the fact that you spoke English, and. It, and that was fundamentally the case. You know, you're speaking to people that find speaking in tongues in churches like the norm. Um, you're, you're talking to people that uh, will freely use the N-word. Um, and it, it was quite an incredible uh, thing to, to, to witness and, and kind of be a part of. And, and so for me, in terms of, um, you know, majoring in, in kind of in the main in, in race relations and sort of women's studies at the time, it was it was very, very interesting to, to, to see and, and just witness. So in terms of like living there, did you, we can talk a, a little bit more about campus living. Did you, what was the area of Hattiesburg like? Did you see much of the town outside of campus, outside of the university? And what was the culture like in the town if you did? 
Yeah, so I mean, as with many towns in the US, it had a downtown, but nobody kind of really went there. It was a, it was a bit of a husk of a, a downtown, so not much going on at all. Most of the things that happened were kind of in and around the university itself. And so uh, there was sh kind of shopping malls outside of town. I think I visited once maybe. Um, but it was mainly kind of food outlets in the university itself is where, you know, I, I would generally go or, or somewhere to, you know, to, to have a, a few beers or whatever. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a fairly sort of small place. Um, and uh, yeah, so you go and see some bands or, or whatever else. And uh, but, but yeah, it, the, the, the town itself, it wasn't really up to much, frankly. Sorry. And in terms of on campus, did you... Um... <laughs> did you uh i think your your cat's uh coming in andy oh uh, yeah yeah absolutely um he, he's 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 a, he's a year old he's not quite uh trained as <laughs> that i'm trying to record a podcast i think i think it happens to the best of them uh but i've you know i listen to podcasts myself as well as recording this one and Constantly, yeah. it's cats, dogs, elephants. Uh, it's 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 a constant strain to keep the animals at bay on the in the podcast world. I think so. Uh, hey, yeah, it no is frustration. It 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 dents it dents one's uh, professionalism. I find. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh well, we can continue with uh, with what's your cat called? Stanley, and he's one, and he's just found me outside, and he's loving it. <laughs> Very nice. Um, so yeah. <laughs> So campus, you, you arrive in campus, you're, you're, you're living in dorms, you're kind of used to that from, from Swansea, of course, but uh, yeah, what's, what's, what's it kind of, what's it like to uh, you know, sit, sit, in the, uh, sit in the cafeteria or, or attend lectures there or, you know, how, how, do, how does it differ from what you were used to in Swansea? I, well, I think, I think one of the toughest things to, to deal with, um, especially being British, was that it was a dry campus. Um, and you probably experienced a similar sort of issue stroke challenge within Baton Rouge. Um, it, it be, being a dry campus, it basically means you can't drink alcohol anywhere on campus, including your room in dorms, um, which kind of really narrows things down a smidge. So, of course, you do everything you can to counter that. Um, and so, yeah, that, that for me was one of the, the, the biggest challenges. But in terms of day-to-day uh, -day life on campus, yeah, I mean, you, you were going to the refectory to eat your food and you would have sort of African-Americans on, on, on one side and, and uh, whites on the other. Uh, this, isn't, this wasn't forced segregation, but it was just almost like the natural uh, rule of order, it seemed. And, you know, being a, a jumped-up sort of... 20 year old I, I always sat on the african-american side because it just seemed it, it, was, it was quite hard to really get your head around that level of nonsense but but i, I mean but there it was clear that there was some significant institutional racism and and you know against the backdrop of what i discussed uh, mentioned earlier you know it was absolutely clear that racism was all around and i'm not talking about racism when we, we're talking about institutional racism when we're talking about british police forces though obviously that's that's terrible and needs addressing i'm talking about overt ridiculous insane racism that simply was never called out 
uh, I would be in lessons, um, history lessons, with um, a guy, William S. Scarborough, who I, I believe is still teaching at the university. <laughs> and and you, you would be in class with him, and uh, there would be pretty much an even split between African-Americans and, and, uh, and white students at the start of, of his lectures. And then within a good uh, two or three weeks, no African-Americans. And, and you totally understood why. I mean, he, he, he was uh, overtly racist. And some of the things he would say, I remember being in, a, uh, in one of his classes, um, must have been a good couple of months in. And, and you would have the classes with PhD students and masters as well as undergrads like I was. And um, he was taught, he was, he was talking about a particular subject related to slavery or, or related to slave owners' relationships with with um, uh, with their slaves because he taught a lot of the uh, history about the antebellum South. And uh, <laughs> all of a sudden, he would go on some tangent about some American football game that he'd watched the, the previous evening, um, Southern Miss or, or a, a team he knew versus a, 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 a black uh, Christian college. Um, and he started to describe their fans uh, as animals um, and in a very derogatory way. And um, I was, I mean, I, to be honest with you, I, I'd had quite a heavy night the night before and, and uh, I was very keen to actually raise the point as to being not not correctly not correct to raise it but what what astounded me even more you would get the the phd students and some of the master students agreeing and almost kind of getting him to continue his point um and kind of add to it in in terms such as oh yeah yeah they are like that aren't they type ways of speaking i was like goodness me this is quite incredible that uh, i'm i'm witnessing this it it it, 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 yeah, I mean, to, to this day, I find it quite astounding. Um, but equally, to, to witness it is, a, it, I found, a very sort of interesting experience, but it was also staggering at the same time. Yeah, I, um, I, can, I, 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 saw, I saw a fair amount of that in, in Louisiana. Uh, I don't, I, it wasn't there all the time, um, and I certainly didn't hear a lecturer like that, but... Um, I think I think in those days Clinton was president it was quite a it was felt it was quite a liberal time before September 11th of course and um it was quite a positive you know late 90s were quite a positive time so when you did run into it as a um as a British person who um you know although although obviously racism is in all societies and and certainly is in the UK um, it, it was surprising. I, I was surprised. Um, I'd probably say in this era of Donald Trump, I'd probably be less surprised now. But in those days, like with Clinton as president and, and you know, Blair in the UK, you kind of thought um, probably a little bit uh, because I was, you know, 20, 21 years of age and didn't have a, a life experience of seeing these things behind, you know, that, that go on. It was surprising. And uh, naivety probably is a part of that. I remember... There was a big, it was when Lennox Lewis was the big British kind of boxer and Evander Holyfield had kind of been the American champion in, in 90. I remember mm. watching, uh, I think it was the, there was a rematch, but this is the original one. And uh, it might have been the one when Evander Holyfield bit on the ear or maybe it was not that one. And um, a load of British guys and some American guys were watching in Baton Rouge and uh, at the end, 
uh, in a points decision, which was a little bit dodgy, uh, I think, at the time, although I think it was a rematch. Evander Holyfield was, um, was awarded the win. And, uh, and we were all disappointed, uh, me and about two or three of the British guys. And the, the American guys, to comfort us in some way, went, hey, guys, you know, don't worry about that. It's just your very racist word against our very racist word. And um, mm. straight away, we weren't wow. so bothered about the actual Lennox Lewis uh, being unfairly defeated by Evander Holyfield. We were like, wow, <laughs> where did that come from? Like, we, we weren't even aware these guys were so uh, friendly, really, you know, accommodating, that kind of... When you hear about Southern hospitality, it's a real thing. There really is lots of Southern hospitality. But then you get that and you're like, wow, these things are like hand in hand in some way. And look, I don't, you know, this podcast is now listened to people all around the world. Certainly you will get racism like that everywhere in, in, in the world. And uh, we're just talking about our experiences as young guys in, in America. But certainly we, that, that kind of, you know, surprised me um, a little bit there. Yeah. I, I, I do think, yeah, I mean, I have reflected on this quite a bit and, that, you know, that there is there is a concern that you can become a, a little bit ethnocentric about this. So you can be, well, you know, look at us, we're so great, we're, we're brilliant. But it's just a, 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 a very, very different set of um, uh, attitudes and, and ideals that have been brought about by by history. And, and you know, I, I think um, I think that for my I, I did demonstrate perhaps an oversimplicity uh, in some ways to to how I address certain things I I remember being in a in another lecture and um, um, it was a race it was a race relations uh, course and it was really interesting and, and in this course you know it was I, I was hugely in the minority it was the majority of African Americans uh, but it's a really interesting course and it's centered mostly around uh, citizens councils um, and it was very, very interesting to see, um, you know, attitudes of, of white, um, it certainly um, in, in the way that they um, uh, uh, responded to Brown versus Board of Education. So a lot of citizens councils were set up um, because a lot of people in the South didn't believe that um, um, segregation or that, that uh, African Americans were ready for segregation or for, for, for or sorry ready for um, integration, fully ready for it um, was how they kind of interpreted things. So citizens councils were set up to ensure that there was perhaps a more staggered or slowed approach to to integration as as a result of the Brown decision. Um, and I was in. Um, uh, a lecture at one time and uh, there was a lot of representatives from the NAACP so the National Association for the Advancement of Colour People and uh, we, we had a we had a, a, a debate because uh, I remember that Black Week was coming up and I took the view um, that I didn't really understand why these guys who I was uh, speaking to in the, in the lecture um, thought that Black Week was a good thing so, so they were talking about Black Week, you know, what was coming up, what were the highlights, and I was questioning why Black Week was a good thing, given the backdrop of talking about citizens' councils and integration, you know, surely people should be pressing for, for more uh, than that, surely things should be fully integrated within um, the, 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 the uh, the, the teachings in the school. Uh, and I think during that debate, I 
became quite ethnocentric and I was making judgments based upon what I knew and I thought to be um, right based upon my experiences in the UK rather than fully understanding some of the challenges um, of African Americans within the United States and, and most notably in the Deep South. Um, and it, it, it became quite heated and I, I, don't, I don't regret engaging in the debate, but certainly I think I would have taken a slightly different view and maybe a, a, a slightly less of a, an aggressive view um, had I had the debate again, certainly. Yeah, the, the other, I, I, it, it's, I think it's always good to be involved in these debates, but you're like getting, understanding the full perspective is quite difficult. I mean, it's, it's not, race in itself isn't a thing, it's culture and race. I mean, I was friends, yeah. with, like most international students were with some African students who were, you know, from countries in Africa, like we were coming from European countries to do an exchange year. And we, we would often be, uh, we'd hang out on campus and stuff like that and we'd um, you know do do things together and the some of the African guys would say to me that when they've spoken to an African-American guys they'd be like why are you you know hanging out with with those 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 guys I you know the, the European or the the white the white students as well um, I, I don't think in an aggressive way but just it, it was surprising to them because obviously they're African um, and and therefore the 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 kind of segregated culture which is obviously put upon african americans it's you know it's not just it's ended politically but in society it's still quite hard to to move people uh, around and uh, you know i'd like to say 20 years later there's been a huge change i haven't been back to the states for well it's probably about say, 17 years now but uh, yeah so, some of what i i read and and hear um, would suggest that these things are still as still as strong as they are. Charlottesville and in Baton Rouge, where I went, I think in in earlier this year, there was a spate of uh, of, of of burnings of some churches in uh, African American churches in, in Baton Rouge, and so it seems like these things are are, are still very much uh, going on where they were. Um, you know, and um, we're, we're in an interesting time having had Barack Obama followed by Trump, you know, um, and, uh, you know, still still a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just just on that point relating to Barack Obama, I mean, just just an observation. I, I, I found certainly in my time when I was in the Deep South and certainly um, when I reflect on the attitudes um, post Barack Obama, I think um the, the U.S. seems to be quite a strange society for me, being an outsider looking in, in that it's a society um, of almost of reactions um, and, and, and strong reactionary forces. Um, so, you know, I, I had when, when I lived in the Deep South, so you would have people who were either deeply religious or they were very strongly atheist. Um, you would have, if you look at Barack Obama, for example, the, the, the response in the post-Obama years, which could have been created such a positive uh, impact on American society, have actually created a, a, a huge, well, this is my perception, a huge sort of negative reaction uh, and have created a, a more overtly um, uh, right-wing and perhaps um, perhaps more racist society. and. and it just, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm living in the UK now, so I fully accept that there are certain challenges here. But equally, I, I see in the US, it, it's just 
there, there are big reactions to to if some if people disagree that the reaction back can often be far greater um, and, and certainly you know looking at the polarization in terms of belief systems polarization between you know politics etc um, I see that quite a lot in the US where you know if you disagree with something you just swing right the other way which actually means integrations of views and values becomes that much more challenging in a society that becomes more polarized through its reactions against one another and so in, 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 so therefore I just find it quite difficult to imagine um, the, the US finding a, a level of um, balance within society where everyone can integrate and um, get on far better than perhaps they are at the moment. Indeed, yep, absolutely. Um, I think um, you know we, we've 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 really uh, given our own perspective. Obviously, we are by no means academics on this subject, but I think you know it's important to uh, to kind of consider you know what you experienced and and uh, and how that combines to think about what's happening now with the things in America, you know, Brexit. Uh, in New Zealand, obviously, we have we have our own issues, and uh, so um, thanks a lot for sharing all of that. It's some great personal experience there. Um, I just thought we'd finish off by moving into a bit of a blast from the past segment, where we just a little bit talk about our experience, uh, especially our experience with Louisiana. Um, you know, as I've said before, where you were based, Hattiesburg's around 170 miles apart, um, but down south um, or southwest or whatever, I'm not that great with his directions, was the city of New Orleans or Norlins, as people from yes. Louisiana would say it, like N-A-W-I-R, sorry, N-A-W-L-I-N-S, Norlins. Um, <laughs> yeah. Whenever you hear British people, they say New Orleans, um, which, you know, a lot of American cities uh, like Baltimore is, you know, um, is nothing like that, but it's the same with New Orleans. And uh, so it'd probably take about the same time for you to get down there as, as we did. But I just thought I'd um, talk a little bit about, we actually went to the two bigger events in, in 1998 and 99, which was in 98, we went to the Halloween in, in New Orleans, down in the French Quarter and other areas. And then in, um, in uh, Fat Tuesday, which is like what we would call... Uh, <coughs> Shrove Tuesday in the UK. Um, we went to Mardi Gras, which is uh, the big, big festival they have there. But uh, I remember before the Halloween, you had come up to Baton Rouge with some people from your university, stayed at my uh, apartment uh, for for a night, and then we we I think we got the bus down to uh, to New Orleans so we could uh, we could get there. Is your memory? Uh, how what's your memory of the Halloween events like? Fuzzy. Um, I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I, to, to be honest, I do, I do remember. I mean, while you were saying that, I was thinking how crazy and what what sort of massive level of contradictions we lived in the deep south, where you could get drive-through daiquiris. Um, I, I remember like driving to yours, uh, or maybe or, or to New Orleans at, at certain times in, in the year. We went to Gay Weekend. And Halloween, various other times, and you could just get a drive-through daiquiri. And, and as I understood it, and you, you might know better than this, you could only get a drive-through daiquiri when you hit New Orleans, when you hit Louisiana. And that was the whole reason that Louisiana's roads were so terrible, was because 
their alcohol laws did not fall in line with the rest of the United States. So the federal government would not give them money for, to fix their roads. So when you crossed the state line from Mississippi into Louisiana, you knew about it because there were some serious potholes. But it didn't matter because you had drive-through daiquiris. So, I, I mean, I just remember getting drive-through daiquiris having the open container up front because you know you can um, and then supping on those uh, while in the passenger seat of course uh, going down to New Orleans. Yeah no I think they used to have um, it used to be 18 rather than 21 I think they moved to 21 eventually but yeah New Orleans, uh, New Orleans is, has always been a, a much more liberal place than the rest of the state I mean if you want something <laughs> like um, True Detective, which is uh, obviously fictional, but it's a lot of that is set in Alexandria and the northern part of the state. Um, that's more traditional South. You get down into New Orleans and it's, uh, it's a much different culture. It's a much more mixed culture. There's a lot more uh, Creole, uh, African-American, uh, you know, Asian-American, everything. It's a, mu it's a much bigger sort of, uh, um, sort of uh, mix of different types of people down there. Uh, there was a great uh, HBO show a few years ago called Treme, which which really featured that, which I'd recommend yeah. to anyone to get a, a bit of a sense of it. But um, yeah, I remember that the Halloween, I remember driving down there on the bus and uh, we, we got some terrible accommodation at the YMCA, which I was responsible for booking. And <laughs> I was getting a little bit of hassle from my... Uh, from you guys, my French uh, roommate who would come down with us. And uh, then we got into one of the squares. We got into one of the squares and there was a guy with a ukulele who just happened to be playing YMCA <laughs> on the ukulele while we went through. And uh, the humiliation was complete. But uh, yeah, late, later that evening, I got myself a rubbish Walmart Dracula cape. Uh, but Tim, who uh, obviously has been in a couple of our podcasts uh, He'd been in the New Mexico costume shop before he uh, before he came to meet us, and he had a full Sherlock Holmes coat and hat. And uh, everyone, whilst we walked down Bourbon Street, which uh, you know, plastic glasses and beads, and essentially bars and restaurants all the way down, was constantly getting shouted, "Yo, Sherlock!" And uh, yeah, I was in my Walmart cape, thinking, uh, you know, why didn't I get the Sherlock cape? But the, the big thing was there was a lot of, and uh, this is a bit shameful considering, you know, what the woman's been through. There's a lot of people dressed up as Monica Lewinsky. And so that's, uh, that's how dated our, our memories are, that the Monica Lewinsky was like the number one costume then because, of course, the, um, the investigation, star investigation was going on. And also at the same time. Uh, Clinton was as denying and and all that kind of thing, uh, which you know has got very big parallels with today, where the Mueller report's just been released. But uh, obviously, um, you know, <laughs> Clinton himself was impeached, and then he was he was allowed off where for doing what he did. But we'll see what happens now. Um, yeah. So New Orleans, did you did you um, other than the big party stuff? What did you think of the city itself? I thought that the city was stunning. Um, you know, it reminds you, you, you could walk down a Parisian street and uh, the architecture was absolutely fantastic. It was stunning. And it was such a fun city to be in, um, such a vibrant city. It's like, um, yeah, it's probably one of my favourite places to be. And every time we were there, of course, it was absolutely bustling because, you know, I, I think I originally went there, first time I went there for Gay Weekend, I went there for Halloween, I went there for Mardi Gras. It, it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, yeah, really, really cool. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Um, you know, you mentioned the beads, absolutely 
ridiculous, I mean, insane culture. I mean, I don't know if the, the whole give the beads for something visual thing was, is that just a thing on certain dates or was that just a general thing? Or what, yeah, well, you know what I'm talking large, about. Yeah, in, well, yeah, I mean, we're not going to the details of, of some of it, but the um, when... I, on Mardi Gras night, I camped out uh, by the side of the tram tracks um, at the end of the night because what Mardi Gras is during the day is it's a lot of people marching, a lot of uh, trucks or big vehicles with, uh, you know, all different themes. Often there's a kind of Greek theme going on. And what happens mm -hmm. is the, the crews march or they're on these big floats and they go throughout New Orleans and often end up at the Superdome, um, which is where the, the Saints play the New Orleans uh, American football team. And um, they essentially have cups, they have medallions, they have beads, and they just throw them out. So um, I think, looking back, I think it's, you know, it's been going on for over 100 years. It's gifts, it's giving things away. It's, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's a sign of, uh, you know, uh, not charity, but giving stuff. And obviously there's the religious part of it because it's a, it's a Christian holiday that's mixed in with, you know, more local um local kind of faith and stuff as well so um you know the idea was i think originally just you know you give the people some things uh, you know it's a relationship um and therefore by the end of the day you've literally got like 50 pairs of beads which if you keep them on long enough because they're like cheap plastic you end up with like a little of a multicolored kind of paint job around your neck uh, but I've kept some of those beads. I've still got some in my in, in one of my keepsake boxes uh, with a medallion from I think uh, I went there a couple of times after I'd, I'd left uh, the American uh, University, and um, yeah, it was it was it was, it was good times. Um, yeah, the um, I remember Steve, who obviously was on our, our previous podcast. Uh, we ended up um, in a bar, and everyone was getting quite tired at that time, and there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm because it's probably late, uh, very late, and. Uh, Everyone was a bit sleepy in this little uh, bar in, in, in Bourbon Street. And um, all of a sudden, the band started playing Superstition, uh, you know, the Stevie Wonder song. Yeah. Um, very slowly, and people sort of, oh, that sounds familiar. And then probably within about two minutes, a small bar had gone from a lot of people sitting at tables looking a little bit overtired to everyone on the dance floor at, you know, a very late hour. <laughs> dancing around to superstition and uh i even i, se I sent steve a, a message the other day that mentioned uh mentioned something about that and the first thing he you know put was superstition you know everywhere so these memories hold whole firm and uh, you know that which is why you know we still talk about these things 20 years later because those memories from when you were uh <laughs> in, your, in your early 20s uh, are strong because they are they're free and uh, exciting times you know <laughs> it's good stuff yeah you bet all right well we might wrap it up now um thank you very much for for talking to uh to the pod today um hopefully uh we'll have other chats or uh link up with other members and uh thanks for talking about uh you know a subject uh you know which uh it has to be carefully considered and uh and, and it's been really really great Thanks, Paul. Yeah, it's good to have the opportunity to reflect. It's been a while. So, uh, yeah, speak to you soon. Thanks again.